good Thursday evening to you, Dog Nation. This is Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Good to be back with you again. Got the entire Dog Nation team, at least in part, on your screen. You see the face of Mike Griffith, Dog Nation's Connor Riley, and via phone tonight, we say hello to Jeff Sintel as he is on the road, assisted by AAA, literally on and about the recruiting trail and all across the Southeast doing that here over the course of the uh, last couple of days. Obviously, we head towards the month of June. Very busy month for UJ recruiting. Jeff getting an early start on that uh, as he has been visiting some of the top recruits of the class of 2022 and the class of 2023 here over the course of the uh, last few days. So, Jeff, via phone, I will say hello to you. As we said before, kind of on the road here, like literally, we do a segment called On the Road, assisted by Triple H Week on Dog Nation Daily. But this is literally and on the road with you as you are. And let's, you know, make sure everybody understands hands free. 10 and 2, the hands are a hands-free device for the phone. But nonetheless, you are uh, out and about and traveling and talking to some top prospects here. So, Jeff, good evening to you, and uh, thanks for being with us via phone since you can't be with us with your face on the screen here tonight. Uh, yeah, thanks, Brandon, I guess. No, just be serious, man. We planned this all along, man. It was a great, great opportunity to talk about being on the road. And uh, I, I, will, I will confirm, Brandon, Hands are at 10 and 2, and a mobile uh, mobile telephone device giant company CarPlay device is allowing me to join you guys live. So a little bit of a switch for us to have Jeff via phone, but also a great chance for me to tell you that you can switch and save your auto insurance with AAA. You think about AAA for legendary roadside assistance. You also can think about that now for auto insurance. On average, those who do switch save an average of $529. So great chance to do that check out triple slash auto insurance for more details on that it's triple slash auto insurance great to have jeff sintel on the road with us here today we're going to cover a lot of the stuff around georgia football here over the course of the next few minutes i do want to begin with this though there has been a lot of growing hype it would seem on the georgia clemson game the season opener a game we all hope to be on the road assisted by triple a with us we head up there to a charlotte later on the month of september a lot of dog fans looking forward to doing the same thing there with that. We did see this week, the according to FanDuel Sportsbook, and I think DraftKings also came out the number there as well, that Clemson does open as a slight favorite in this game. FanDuel has Clemson as a three-point favorite there. And so I thought it might be interesting to kind of look at that here tonight and kind of look at, you know, what Georgia has on its side, what Clemson has on its side, to sort of measure up the tail of the tape on both these teams, but to also just kind of figure out why it is right now that Clemson is a point spread favorite. So, Connor, I want to start with you because you had kind of an interesting angle on all of this yourself. Clemson three-point favorite over Georgia right now, at least according to FanDuel, for the very hyped season opener, as big a season opening game as Georgia's maybe ever played. Why do you think Clemson is currently favored in the eyes of the betting public on this? Well, I think one thing to keep in mind with with lines and things like that is these guys want to set lines where there, be, where there will be action on it. UGA is a little bit of a public team. Certainly, I think more so than Clemson. So you might see some money pouring on them, especially with just given how Clemson's last game played out there against Ohio State, a similarly elite team that did not play all that well Clemson that day. I think the other thing is in recent years, it feels like Clemson is a more known entity. And even though they have to replace their all-time leading passer or one of their all-time leading passers, the ACC's all-time leading rusher in Travis Etienne, I mean, you have a pretty good idea that Clemson is at least going to be a team that's in the national title conversation, certainly in the college football playoff come the end of the season. You right. haven't really been – Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no sorry. You haven't, re- you haven't really been able to say that about Georgia these last couple of seasons. And they've started to take a few st- – very small steps, but steps back. Going from being in the college football playoff in 2017, next year close loss to Alabama, year after that big loss to LSU in the SEC championship game, and last year missing it entirely. So I think because – Georgia has not since gotten back to that college football playoff realm. I think that's why you see that slight three-point edge right now. Mike, are you with Connor on this? Is it all about perception as to, in terms of the, the advantage that Clemson seems to have, at least in terms of the point spread right now? Is there a tangible reason in your mind to favor the Tigers over the Dogs? No, it's, it's about making money. I mean, those guys got uh, big water fountains and hotels out there because they know how to manipulate the public, uh, take advantage of perception and, and balance the books and make their money on those, on those lines that are, that are close. Right. And, and early on, uh, I would imagine this is a line that's going to swing back into Georgia's favor um, at some point. 
and, and then it kind of settles in between is kind of my prediction that this ends up in that pick'em area. Um, but I, I think Connor's right from a perception standpoint. Uh, you think about Clemson, you think about a team that can beat Alabama. Frankly, they're two and two against the tide. You think about Clemson, you think about a team that that hasn't lost to an SEC team in the regular season since playing Georgia in 2014. So they've had their way with AM. Uh, they've had their way with uh, obviously South Carolina every year. They've had their way with Auburn and they've beaten Alabama, something that Georgia can't do. And therefore, you know, to the view from 10,000 feet playing transitive properties, Clemson can beat Alabama. Alabama always beats Georgia. Uh, I don't think anybody uh, really has a good idea uh, from a, the standpoint of the fringe, the fringe fan, uh, you know, just how good JT Daniels is. I think JT is still somewhat of a unknown commodity in this region of the country. And there's doubters after uh, what he, I would say amounts to a pretty rough true freshman season at USC. Uh, so you put all those things together and uh, it is about perception. Certainly Clemson will be right at home at bank of America stadium. They're six and oh there and they're, uh, ACC championship games, just as Georgia would be at home at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Clemson, no stranger to the city of Charlotte. Uh, I think that's an advantage for Clemson. Um, and I think that's also part of the perception. Mike, you mentioned that the line will eventually move back in the direction of Georgia. Why do you think that will be? I think what Connor said about Georgia being kind of a public team, Georgia fans in general are bullish on the Bulldogs. It's been a strong offseason. They finished last year with momentum. You know, had they lost to Cincinnati, it's interesting, uh, and we know how easily they could have lost to Cincinnati, but it, it makes all the difference in the world. I mean, but because JT was able to drive them, you know, down there for the game-winning field goal with no timeouts, you know, he's he's undefeated JT Daniels. He's 4-0. Uh, had he lost to Cincinnati, he'd be like, well, he's that guy that couldn't even beat Cincinnati. But I think perception often overtakes reality uh, in many respects. And certainly in gambling, uh, gambling is a game of perception, right? It's a matter of who you believe will win based on probably some pretty false narratives, right? I know there's a lot of people that, you know, used to tell me, and, and again, I guess this will be my fourth round on the beat, you know, Florida just owns Georgia, right? I've, I've seen Georgia stomp uh, Florida a few times, and the one time they lost, it was because they had four injuries in the game before against Kentucky, and their starting quarterback went out with a 14-0 to lead. It was a fluke that Florida won. But over the course of time, there's a perception that Florida beats Georgia, right, because of the dominance that Steve Spurrier enjoyed. It still carries over. There's still people that say we're not sure uh, they'd want to see Georgia play Florida in, in Sanford Stadium because of what happened in 1994 or 95. So I think perception often overtakes reality in the gambling realm. Jeff, I want to ask you a slightly different question on the same topic, though. You've been around the block a few times here, and literally you're going around the block right now as you're driving around the southeast. Can you ever in your mind remember a season opening game for Georgia that comes close to rivaling the the hype that's already growing, I would say justifiably in place, this game against Clemson? Yeah, I think I was a wee lad, man. I'm, you got to, you know, the one that just jumps in my mind, I'm sure there was another one uh, earlier than that in the, you know, in the much more recently but i think about 1982 man i think about clemson and georgia because that was the 82 game herschel walker had broken his thumb oddly these are these same two same two teams but georgia was the 80 champion clemson was the 81 champion and they faced each other at night it was on a monday night uh i was a very wee lad at that time but i know i i cajoled my parents into letting me uh stay up and watch that thing but uh, you know, that was a hard-fought 13-7 win for Georgia. Mm-hmm. I really think the line, man, is about – You know, we, we, I think the two guys, the two fellows there summed it up really nicely. I think it's curating for Georgia because they're trying to induce – Georgia has a bigger fan base than Clemson. I think that's a curating to endorse some money on the other side. And simply, I think Connor covered it really well. I think Clemson has a better brand right now of winning these football games. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. You know, Connor, you're talking before the show began as well. When you look at, you know, the various comparisons here, I think we'll do a lot on JT Daniels and DJ Uyunglele. You know, we saw a brief glimpse of Uyunglele last year, and at, at times he, you know, played pretty well for Clemson. Obviously, JT Daniels had some nice moments when he finally got a chance to be the UGA starter there as well. I mean, how do you think 
the comparison between Daniels and Uwe Unglele looks right now? And, you know, I, I guess is there a strong case for one over the other at the moment in your mind? Well, to answer your previous question, the last time Georgia played a top 10 matchup in the first game of the season, which this will certainly be, was actually 2013 against Clemson. Number eight, Clemson beat number five, Georgia, 38-35 that day in a hard-fought game. Todd Gurley had a huge touchdown run. Timmy Watkins had a big play in that game. But to answer your second question there about Daniel Zui Ungwale, I don't think either fan base, if you said, hey, would you rather have JT Daniels or DJ Ungwale, if you're a Georgia fan, if you're a Clemson fan, JT Daniels, I don't think either side is making any trades uh, or swaps, so to speak, with that. I think both teams like what they have. Obviously, Uyunglele has the extra years. He's not draft eligible, whereas I think just about everybody agrees that this is going to be Daniel's last year here at Georgia. So they both impressed in small sample sizes last year. But I would also point out that for Uyunglele and I think for Daniels as well, this first game of this season is going to be the best defense that either of these two guys could face. I know Notre Dame made the college football playoff a season ago, but I think this Georgia team is a different level defense than what Clemson uh, saw that night up in, in Notre Dame. And DJ only still played very well against Notre Dame that night. But I think this is going to be a very different test with a lot more pressure entering this first game of the season. And Mike, I want you to respond to what Connor said in a moment, but Connor, to go back to your earlier point, would you agree with me that while, you know, going to Death Valley in 2013 is a big deal, having them come back to Athens 2014 was a big deal, the hype for those two games, I don't think comes anywhere close to what we're seeing here for this game in 2021. If, if for no other reason, then I would say on paper, this Georgia team just looks to be much better than that Georgia team was. And obviously in 2013, 2014, we hadn't yet seen Clemson get over the hump and win multiple national championships. Well, I mean, Georgia was the number five team to open that season. They had Aaron Murray coming back off that 2012 team where they got oh so painfully close to beating Alabama. So, I mean, I, I think the larger point is perhaps Clemson, but if I'm, maybe remembering correctly, was that either the year before or the year after they beat Ohio State in that, I guess, Peach Bowl or whatever it was, or the, uh, the Orange Bowl there. So, I mean, again, top, that was two top ten teams, Clemson number eight, Georgia number five, whereas, you know, this year potentially Clemson's definitely going to be a top five team, and I think Georgia might be as well to open the season. Mike, on Connor's point about the quarterbacks, what I think is interesting, if the Clemson fans are rallying around Uwe Englele, they're seemingly doing it because they've gotten used to seeing good quarterback play for their program. Sean Watson, who actually made his debut against Georgia 2014, then Trevor Lawrence after that. I think the assumption amongst Clemson fans is, well, Uwe Unglele will just be the next in the line of very good Clemson quarterbacks, where it seems like for Georgia, if you're rallying around JT Daniels, and Georgia fans clearly are, it's more about the assumption that Daniels is going to be better than what Georgia has had at quarterback in recent years. You know, Connor mentioned Aaron Murray a, a moment ago. You really have to go back to Murray uh, to see a really prolific big numbers quarterback. I mean, obviously Jake Fromm had some nice moments, but, but I think the hope is that JT Daniels puts up bigger passing numbers, even than Jake Fromm did. So if both fan bases are rallying around their quarterbacks, and I believe they probably are, it seems in my mind, they're rallying around these two guys for different reasons. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, obviously DJ uh, Uga Ungalele, uh, I got to throw the extra Lele in there. I had to, I had to listen to pronounce it myself. He'd been DJ U to me this entire off season. But, um, you know, uh, Uwe Ungalele is a guy that, you know, he's large, statuesque, certainly looks like an NFL prototype, athletic. Um, I would note that in his big game, he lost to Notre Dame. I would also note that in playing JT Daniels, he lost twice in their rivalry games. And uh, I think that that gives JT a, a little bit of an upper hand. I do think that matters. I think that anytime you replace a legend, like Clemson is replacing and Trevor Lawrence. I mean, this is to me guys, uh, you know, kind of sidetracking this a little bit, but I, I don't know if I think it's an exaggeration to say that, that to me, I think Trevor Lawrence is maybe the greatest college quarterback I've seen since Peyton Manning. Uh, when I look at the, his, his legend oh, on. beating Alabama in the national championship game and, you know, just the presence that he had, uh, I, I love me some Joe Burrow now. I think Joe's awful special. He's quite a player. Another guy that Georgia ran into that single-handedly seemed to beat him uh, the first time they met down there in uh, Death Valley. But Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, he he's a, this was a special, special guy. He led on a spiritual level, and you almost felt like God was on his side at times. Uh, Travis Etienne, you know, dynamic back. I mean, you, you just don't replace, you know, he, he was to Clemson what Georgia, what Swift was to Georgia. Didn't replace Swift. You don't get anybody like Swift. Uh, and I don't think Clemson's got anybody like ETN. 
And, and I think that that's going to be a major drop off. So as much as we're talking about the quarterbacks, B.A., I look at some of the other playmakers um, and, uh, you know, I, I think Georgia should feel really good about not just JT, but, you know, he does have a set of good uh, players around him. He, he may not have the greatness of a DeAndre Swift or a George Pickens right now, but I think they're certainly capable. And the fact that he finished strong with those four wins versus, you know, DJ Uyunglele, you know, uh, didn't beat Notre Dame. And other than that, he's kind of a backup. So I, I give Georgia an upper hand in, the, in that quarterback situation. You know, Jeff, I want to bring you back in on this because Mike talks about, hey, what happens after Travis at the end for Clemson? You know, a name that you acquainted us with a lot on the recruiting trail. You really follow Clemson this spring. You get the sense that Will Shipley, a running back that you wrote about for Dog Nation at one point in time, made it look like UGA might be involved in the Shipley recruitment. He ends up going to Clemson. You get the sense they're looking to really lean on Shipley and, you know, second and third year on campus, boy, they really threw the ball a lot, Travis, at the end. Did not do that as much in his freshman year when they won the national championship, but started doing that a lot more last couple of years. You get the sense that some of those plays are going to be going Will Shipley's Will Shipley's way for the Tigers here this year. Yeah, that was a guy that uh, really sharp kid, really bright kid. Kind of fulfills that parallel with Christian McCaffrey a lot. Help him in the throwing game. Young guy, though, you know, there's some other Georgia kids that are on that roster. Kobe Pryor, um, you know, guys at Georgia, Phil Moffa, guys that were coming out of the state of Georgia. Kobe Pryor is actually out of Nick Chubb, Cedartown. Um, you know, what they're trying to do, you know, and I, I guess, you know, this is an opinion-based show. I kind of still give the edge there to, to DJ Uyungle. I think he's bigger. I think he's he's going to take a lot more shots from the defensive line. He's going to hang in there a little bit more, 6'5". Remember, this kid had a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. Now, of course, we're talking about comparing a Testarossa and a Maybach here and a Lamborghini talking about these two levels of quarterbacks. But I think DJ's legs are going to be a big factor where I'd, I'd give the check mark to Clemson in that one uh, in the head-to-head, even though you're talk, you're potentially talking about two of the country's top ten quarterbacks. You know, the other thing for me, Mike brought up an interesting point. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd go – I think Trevor would be the, the the best college football prospect for the NFL type quarterback since Peyton Manning. I don't, I don't see that best college quarterback. When you say that, there are a bunch of names that pop up into my mind, and we don't want to make this a show about debating Trevor Lawrence, but – um, you know, I don't, I don't know if Trevor is the best college quarterback purely on the college game. You got Manziel, you got Newton, you got Burrow. Oh, There's a lot of names in my mind. Oh, come on, Jeff. Connor, I want you to name me a more electrifying college quarterback than Manziel for the impact he had on the game, the way he beat Alabama, which is very rare to do. I mean, Johnny Manziel was magical at A&M. Cool. I'll name you a guy that won two national titles at Heisman and beat Alabama in an SEC championship game, Tim Tebow. And I I'd hate love Tim for Tebow, you to debate the other. I, well, I'd love you to debate the other name. Tim you want to bust up Cam Newton? You want to bust up Joe Burrow? I'm just saying there's yeah, lots of guys there that come I, to my I, mind about. Cam's a great. Cam's got a great case, one and done at Auburn. Uh, but I'm not going to give you Manziel. So here's my thing to bring. <laughs> back into this for a moment since the one that started all this and we're digressing but i think it's kind of a fun conversation my argument against trevor lawrence in terms of like any kind of like all-time ranking is that if you're going to look at his best single season i mean he's got no better than than the third best single season in the last three years i mean mac jones at alabama was better than him a year ago in terms of a single season and then you know joe burrow going back 2019 you know, also maybe the best single season performance I've ever seen. You know, I, boy, got something coming in here pretty heavy. Uh, um, but you know, for, for, you know, from that standpoint, you know, Mike, I guess the, I'm surprised that you're arguing for Lawrence as much as you are, given the fact that we've seen these like Babe Ruth seasons from Mac Jones and Joe Burrow in back to back years. The truth is, Trevor Lawrence never quite had one of those years. He was just pretty good for three years, not uh, better than pretty good. But but not Herculean the way that 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 Burrow nor Mac Jones was. Yeah, you know, I I, I felt like um, I felt like I think Burrow. I, I'm not putting I'm not going to put Mac Jones on that level. Ba, 
I don't think Mac, and I think that'll bear out in the NFL. I don't, I don't think I'd be drafting him on my fantasy football team. But in fairness, uh, we are just talking about college right now, though, because I'm not super high on for the NFL either. Yeah, but 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 I mean that that's kind of my point, you know. I you know getting back to what Jeff was saying and what Connor was saying, I'm going to kind of slide in between those two guys on this because I know what Jeff's saying about the electricity and what what Manziel brought. It was almost Michael in a Michael Vick kind of way. Um, you know, Cam Newton probably towers over him in the one season. But when I when I'm talking about Trevor and I'm you know and I'm putting him in the category of a Peyton Manning. It's almost folk heroish. It's it's almost uh, you know come and worship at the house of Trevor Lawrence and and you know someone that transcends the program and somebody that will forever be remembered. Uh, and and I know you know Connor treaded lightly on whether he was the. I don't know if he's got better numbers than Taj Boyd, but I, we didn't look those statistics up. But whether he is or isn't right now, I think ninety percent of the Clemson fans would probably say he is the greatest quarterback. Although Deshaun Watson could certainly make a case. I don't, don't know how we would massage those numbers into this, but uh, oh I would say that Trevor Lawrence is, that's what makes him that to me, that's, that's the point I was trying to make, Brandon. I, I, we don't have time to get as into this as maybe we should have or could, but I also wonder if Peyton Manning can be a folk hero if he never beat Florida during his career, I guess. That's a great, you know, let me tell you something. And I've told so many people this when, and, it, and I get back, this is my whole Jake Fromm deal. If if Pete if Twitter existed in the 1990s, there is no way Peyton Manning comes back for a senior year. Same as Jake Fromm getting drawn, you know, thrown off by social media and hounded by fans and Justin Fields. Peyton Manning would have gotten killed unmercifully on Twitter and social media. Would have never returned for the 1997 season. Uh, one, one of these days we'll have to do kind of one of these like time capsule type shows and go back and look at some of that kind of stuff. I think that actually could be kind of fun to do uh, to bring it back to the Georgia Clemson thing for a moment. Connor, we're about to talk about some injuries uh, that George is trying to recover from, but real quick here on the Clemson side of this, you know, a wide receiver name that uh, a lot of Georgia fans know about is Justin Ross go back 2018. Uh, obviously was a huge part of that national championship for the Tigers. But he's also had some pretty significant health setbacks that have really taken him off the football field. He's looking to come back now. You fairly frequently see him mentioned in mock drafts as a first-round pick, but there are some lingering health concerns. We saw how lingering health concerns hurt some players in this past year's NFL draft, I guess, because I know you follow this stuff closely. You got any concerns that that Justin Ross is not 100% right now, or, or does he step back on as a football player the same as he was in 2018? for the Tigers here this year. Yeah, the, the Justin Ross stuff to me anyway is really perplexing. And you can even look at a guy like a Trey Smith in Tennessee who yeah. talent-wise is certainly up there. But his injury, and again, Trey Smith obviously blood clots in his lungs, totally different worry and concern. Justin Ross missed all of last season after spinal surgery to affect not an injury that occurred during football. It was just something that had happened and occurred to his body. And as it stands right now, Justin Ross is still not cleared to return to play football. So he's got a big uh, meeting in June with his doctors to determine if he's going to be able to be cleared and go through practice then. But, but the Justin Ross thing, I would not pencil him in stone or write his name in pen to use a, be- a better analogy there. I would not write his name in pen or put his name in stone that he's going to be out there for Clemson on September 4th, much less be the player that we saw in that 2019 national championship game against Alabama. It is cover four live. That is Connor Riley. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have Mike Griffith. And on the road, Jeff Sintel, as he is out and about covering the world of recruiting. Uh, Jeff, you feel like sticking with us here? You, uh, you got a good enough signal you want to hang out? Or are we going to let you uh, pull off on the side of the road and go to a greasy spoon and get some coffee? Uh, man, I got I got uh, about uh, five more hours to go. So I, I can click off another 30 minutes with you guys, man. That'll help the drive. All right, that sounds good. We'll keep it rolling here. We're we talking about, you know, injury recovery, at least a little bit more of a you know health situation there for Justin Ross. But for Georgia right now, they're also, you know, heavy storyline this offseason is how some injured Georgia players work their way back towards recovery and get back on the football field here for this upcoming year. On Dog Nation Daily this week, we showed you some new video of receiver Marcus Rosemey Jackson, the second of these videos that we've seen of Rosemey Jackson really looking pretty spry and moving around pretty good on the ankle that we all saw. Awful injury situation going back to what happened last year against Florida. Mike, let me begin with you on this of the injured Georgia players who are trying to get back. And obviously you got to have a kind of grade on a curve here because some are more likely to play a full season than others. 
Which of these injury recovery stories are you watching the most closely right now or the closest, I guess, is the best best version of the English language on that? Which which of these are you watching the closest? Yeah, well, you know, I think we watch them all. But in terms of like which is the most important to me in terms of the team, I think N'Kobe Dean. I think he's the heart and soul of the defense. I don't think there's not, I don't think there's another Nakobe. I, and that's because we already know, listen, I, I, I've seen people ask these questions, you know, George Pickens, can he be back? Look, 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 George Pickens is out minimum, minimum until November. And he won't look anything like the George Pickens you saw before. So people need to get that out of their mind that George Pickens is going to make this magical return in November and start having hundred yard receiving games. That won't happen. Maybe you get a, a good George Pickens in a college football playoffs, perhaps. Uh, but even that, I'm highly skeptical of George Pickens. So I, I put that out there uh, in advance of, of mentioning these other injuries, just because you know the, the people, the people that think that you can come back from an ACL and it, it, they're just unrealistic. They pick out one story out of a million and oh, this guy did it. Okay, well, there's 999,000 that didn't. Look at Dominic Blaylock right now. You know, he's still not getting around. This was a guy that was supposedly a fast healer, right? Well, not that fast, so not going to screw that one up again, right? Rosemary Jack Saint wasn't well enough to get out there and, and take any chances in California. That tells you where he's at. Yes, he's making progress. Same thing with Kenny McIntosh. But in terms of a guy that I think you absolutely have to have back on the field for the opener, it, it's the Kobe Dean. He's just so important. And, you know, I know Connor's probably got a couple of guys in mind, uh, off the top of his head, but uh, to me, it's it's Nicobe Dean. That's that's the one I could make the argument for Keeley Ringo. You want to have as much depth? I don't even know if Keeley's the number three corner anymore now with this guy from Alabama, though. So, but he's another one you want to have healthy for depth. But to me, number one most important, I'm going with Nicobe Dean. Connor, what do you think? I'm glad Mike said Nicobe Dean because that is the correct answer. But the more interesting answer, or Maybe certainly not for the Clemson game, but this may be a more long-term progression. To me, it is Marcus Roseme Jackson. I don't expect him to be George Pickens, but can I? Can, do I think he can be a starting X for Georgia this season and be an impact player at that wide receiver position? I do. I, now, I'm not saying he, again. I'm not saying he can be George Pickens. Certainly, coming off that group, the gruesome ankle injury he had against Florida last year, but he scored a touchdown on that very same play, looking pretty impressive as a freshman in that game. And so, I, I think one of the things to watch is how does that chemistry with JT Daniels develop, but he's got a spot open at that exposition where Georgia's going to have some options out there. Justin Robinson, similarly a guy that has battled through injury early in his career at Georgia and also did not play in the spring game there for Georgia. Adonai Mitchell, the star of the spring game, is someone you could see there at X. But I, I think if you're giving me a full season to bet on, I think Marcus Rosemey Jack Saints development this year is going to be really fascinating for us to watch. Jeff, I'll bring you in. Uh, Rosemey Jack Saint would be my answer as well, simply because a, in the case of N'Kobe Dean, I guess I'm just assuming he will be back healthy and that, you know, it's all about, you know, the sensible timeline for him. And I'd be surprised if he wasn't. I hope I'm not getting the cart before the horse on that, speaking as a Georgia fan, but that's kind of the way that I'm, you know, thinking right now. But in the case of Rosemary Jackson, I just believe he's a, a huge prospect. I think that he's one of the highest rated receivers that Kirby Smart has signed since he's, you know, been Georgia coach, a part of a, pretty dramatic upgrade in wide receiver recruitment over the course of the last three recruiting cycles, especially those, you know, two cycles in 2019, 2020, Rosemary Jackson, obviously a big part of that. So when smart said that he was close during the spring, my ears perked up videos that we've seen seemed to confirm what smart said that he wasn't just talking inside of his neck when he said that, that, yeah, he really is, you know, on his way back there. And I think the entire complexion of the wide receiver situation for Georgia has changed if, if Marcus Roseman Jackson really is uh, 100% healthy and, and ready to go because, Jeff, I just think he's a big-time prospect. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we covered uh, – we put the cover four on the, uh, the Kobe Dean answer. That's the most vital bounce-back dog. But for me, I think, I think the receiver position is where you got to do it. I think – listen, this Georgia team – is going to is either going to bloom or boom, depending on what they have out of the wide receiver core. And there's names here. There's the Rosamie Jack Saint name. There's the Robinson name. But I'm going to toss Blaylock's name in there again because I think Blaylock, when he's there, uh, he's probably the most reliable route runner, the most consistent, sure hands, knows JT's going to know where he's going to be, kind of like 
Sears, Jackson as well. But I think it's going to be very interesting to see what Georgia does with all three of those receivers. I think Justin Robinson can be a fabulous receiver in the SEC. He showed that in the spring. But I'm going to watch and see what Georgia does. And if any of those guys are what any of those guys are ready for the Clemson game, great. That's a big thing. But then if they're not, I don't know why you play those guys until Florida to get them really, really right. Um, that's what the big thing that jumps out to me about one of those three guys can play a lot like maybe everybody expects George Pickens to play. And this is for anybody who wants to respond to it. I don't know that I'm quite as pessimistic about George Pickens' outlook as Mike described himself as being a moment ago, and yet I at least agree with the portion of what he said there in that when I think about, hey, who are the guys you can get them back and then kind of help lead you to where you want to go this year? I mean, I will say that Pickens, as much as I'm a huge George Pickens fan, I have been for, you know, for the entirety of his career, he is a little bit of on that back burner for me a little bit right now because of, you know, how recent his injury was suffered, how big of a deal, you know, an ACL can be. I mean, I think it's possible that Pickens comes back, but it's at least a long enough time frame that right now my mind is a lot more on the guys like Blaylock and the guys like Marcus Rosemary Jack saying those guys who are just a little further into the curve on their own recovery. You know, as I said before, I'm not quite as pessimistic, I don't think, as what Mike described a moment ago, but it's also not one of those things where I think right now Georgia's national championship hopes hinge on George Pickens. If that were the case, then Georgia's probably in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, I think I think with George Pickens, it ultimately whether he sees the field or not this year, it comes down to George Pickens. And we again, George Pickens, phenomenal receiver, but he has not always been the most reliable in terms of getting on the field and staying on the field. You think back to that Georgia Tech game where he was suspended the first half, ejected in the second, and then missed that first half against LSU. There was the weird absences in the middle of this past season. Obviously, a shoulder injury there. How, how much that was really a true legitimate shoulder injury. We don't know. So I think at the end of the day, with all this George Pickens conjecture and will he or won't he come back, I think it's just as much on George as it is on his knee and how that heals up. Mike, let me bring you back in. You know, you've written this week about JT Daniels and the players who are visiting his home state of California doing some offseason work. Where does JT Daniels' injury recovery factor into a discussion like this? We're obviously far removed from the ACL that that he suffered but that kept him off the field until beyond the Florida game this past year and boy there were a lot of amateur doctors on social media talking about you know noticing him limping on the sidelines there that day in Jacksonville and even some evaluation of how he kind of looked from a health standpoint you know once he was actually playing what you know where does Daniel's attempt to return to full health certainly he obviously wants to showcase his health for NFL scouts where does his injury recovery factor into this conversation yeah, I, I kind of felt like JT answered all the questions in the spring. And, and obviously they weren't live and they're not going to hit the quarterback, but you could just tell by how he was planning, how he was throwing, the torque that he was getting. Um, you know, he looked that much better. You saw the velocity uh, when he needed it. I mean, this is a guy that makes all the throws. Uh, very comparable, I think, to Jake Fromm. I, I think maybe he has a little more touch than Jake. I think he has a stronger arm than Jake, but the same sort of quarterback. The guy that flies the jet from the line of scrimmage, very cerebral, um, you know, very, very good with his timing throws as well as his fastballs, as well as his deep ball. Uh, love the back shoulder. Uh, that's where Justin Robinson's king. Don't be fooled by the freshman. Robinson's the better player. He's going to be out there. Um, you get 13 targets. You got to catch more than seven of them. Have a good day. Uh, but but the, Justin Robinson, to me, is the answer over there at the X. And JT's got the uh, chemistry with him. And, you know, you brought that up, B.A., the, the trip. As much as it's about the workouts, it's it's really, I think, and, and we talked about this earlier this week on Dog Nation Daily, and I, I appreciated you letting me come on on my birthday. Uh, I, I feel like the timing and all that takes care of itself with reps. But to me, it's the, it's the chemistry of the team and it's the leadership evolving. Because if there's one area that I'm a little concerned with with Georgia, it's leadership, right? We talk about Jordan Davis. Well, you can't be overweight and be a team leader. If you can't make weight, you're not setting a good example. Uh, JT is uh, maybe the quarterback leader, but he's a new guy. How quickly do you get to know uh, everyone and, 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 you know, can, can you make them better and push their butt? So to me, the leadership area, I mean, you're losing Monty Rice. Monty was a big time leader. You're losing Richard LeCount, big, big leader, right? So 
you're losing Ben Cleveland. You know, Ben was the guy in that line room that kind of held everybody together. You've lost some really big figures off last year's team from a leadership standpoint. So to me, just kind of injecting this into the conversation, I think that this chemistry from this trip uh, is, is very important. And and to answer your question, I, I felt like JT answered all questions about the injury uh, in the spring game, especially how much Kirby played. One like they played in one quarter and pulled him. He played more than I thought that he would. But just a quick follow-up on that, and I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but when JT has talked about this, I'm trying to think back some of the interviews, you know, as recently as like this winter, right? I mean, you know, he was still pretty open about, you know, how he was feeling. And I'm trying to think the one interview that he did, I forget it was the SEC Network or whatever it was, where like, you know, you feel like 100%. And he said, you know, something effective, I'm getting closer. And I, I apologize if I'm not quite getting all of this exactly right. But I mean, you know, Daniels has been pretty open about talking about this, you know, national interviews, things like that, that, you know, and listen, I have every reason to believe that he will be healthy. Don't Please don't misconstrue what I'm saying here. But boy, it seems like he's just been through a lot in trying to get all that mobility back, I guess is the only point that I'm making. And I'm basing that on some of the things that Daniels himself has said. Sure. And I think that's fair. And I, I think it's something that, you know, we saw a little bit of that against Mississippi State with the spin in the pocket and the great throw to Pickens that Connor mentioned is an always consistent drop. What would have been a, a highlight we would have seen for 25 years that George made the, the one catch George didn't make. Right. But I, I think that that's something that, you know, uh, I felt again, I felt like the spring proved that to me. But, but you're probably right, Brandon. You know, when he gets chased out of the pocket against Clemson uh, because the offensive line has been subpar to this point, um, we'll we'll find out. Right. Clemson's going to get some pressure on JT Daniels. He's going to have to move. He's going to have to make some throws off the run. He's going to have to get rid of the ball quickly. That's one big adjustment that he's made. Uh, learning the SEC speed, or in this case, Clemson, which I think we would all agree plays with SEC speed, even though they're in the ACC. Um, you know, that's an adjustment he's had to make. But you're probably right. Uh, you know, after the Clemson game, I think JT should have uh, more confidence, provided the offensive line is uh, solid enough to keep him healthy through that opener. Shift gears and talk about something different here for a moment. And, you know, over the course of this offseason, we saw rumors emerge that, by the way, you're watching Cover 4 Live, Brandon Adams, Mike Griffith, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel via phone here tonight. We like talking Georgia football with you on a Thursday night and glad to have all of you with us as we do it. Over the course of this offseason, we saw Dan Lanning briefly emerge as a candidate to become Kansas head coach. Ultimately, they settle on Lance Leopold, an experienced head coach from Buffalo. Uh, at times, we've talked about, hey, the future of Del McGee may be leaving to go be a head coach. We saw Alabama's running backs coach, Charles Huff, take the Marshall job. McGee, uh, when he met with reporters a couple of months ago, talked about his own you know, head coaching aspirations there. And there are obviously other Georgia assistants. Matt Luke has been a head coach before. Todd Munkin has been a head coach there as well. We'll count them in this midst of this conversation here for a moment. Jeff, if I give you the full pool pool, of UGA assistants at the moment, the 10 on-field coaches. Maybe we won't count Muschamp, the analyst, although I still think he's going to be a head coach again somewhere before his career is done. Which of these UGA assistants right now do you think has the brightest future as a, as, as a one-day head coach? Wow, this kind of feels like getting a guy with the number one draft slot. As much as I want to say a, a really wild card name like Scott Cochran, uh, i got to say Todd Munkin because – I think Munkin is at Georgia, so he can be a head coach somewhere in the South fairly soon with a go-get-the-bag, go-get-the-ring type year at Georgia. I think that's that's the safest answer here. Uh, but I, And the reason why I say that is I think I think Lanning and I think, I think Schumann are both happy where they're at at Georgia right now. Got to remember, both those guys are 32-ish and younger. Uh, I think they have the ability, they have the comfort level, and they have a great platform at Georgia right now to wait for that job kind of like Kirby Smart did. So a couple things about what Jeff said there. Let me do the Munkin thing first. And, Connor, I wouldn't mind you and Mike both weighing in on this, and I'll start with you. I love Todd Munkin as Georgia's offensive coordinator, and I think that Munkin has demonstrated himself to be a pretty sharp football guy. But there's a certain level of – politicking you have to do and maybe politicking is the wrong word but you know backslapping you know big smile on your face you know kind of cuddly when you need to be you need to be able to turn that part of your personality on can Todd Munkin do that well enough that 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 
kind of, you know, glossy personality. You think he's going to be able to demonstrate that well enough to be a big time head coaching candidate at the college level, at the NFL level, you can be whatever you want to be. You can be gruff. You can be, you can be whatever. That doesn't seem to matter as much there, but the college guys who become head coaches are all a little bit like politicians a little bit. At least they know how to turn that part of their personality on when they need to be. And I just don't really quite know to the degree to which Todd Munkin has that club in his bag. What do you think? Well, to the politician standpoint, you know, that's maybe a little fair. We just don't hear or see from him a whole lot. And I think when we do see hear from him, you get the very much sense that he's speaking to us from like an NFL perspective. He treats everyone like adults. He's not speaking in generality, so to speak, which I certainly appreciate. But, I mean, you look at how Georgia's been able to recruit the quarterback position since he got here. He did enough to convince Brock Vandergriff this was the best place for him. Uh, obviously, circumstances somewhat led to Gunnar Stockton here, but Stockton has belief in Todd Munkin as well. So he relates well to players. He has head coaching experience before winning nine games at, at Southern Miss in 2015, a place that has really struggled since he left there to become Tampa's offensive coordinator. I, I like Jeff's answer in Todd Munkin. Wouldn't have been my first choice. I was going to go with Glenn Schumann. But I think Todd Munkin can absolutely be a really good head coach somewhere. And we'll come back to your answer on Schumann in a moment. But, Mike, to, to p- piggyback off this from Connor, I kind of agree with Connor that the no-nonsense style that Munkin speaks with in the rare moments we've had a chance to hear him speak, I think works really well as the top lieutenant to Kirby Smart. But you also kind of wonder, at least I do, is, is this also kind of a low-tolerance-for-BS type thing? Which, listen, the one thing, if you want to be a head coach down here in the South, your tolerance for BS better be pretty high because you're going to have to deal with a lot of it because, you know, whether it be blowhards like me in the media or, you know, boosters, everything else, you just got to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And I, I know he's been in Hattiesburg head coach there, but I mean, do you see Munkin as the face of a program? Do you see him wanting to do that at the big time college level? Or do you think he's just trying to get back to the NFL where you can just kind of hide in an office all day long? Yeah, I, I don't know his motives, but I don't think he's got the charisma. He wouldn't be my pick. You know, I, I'm not going to – I'll think myself here. It's Dan Lanning. It's it's unquestionable. When you look at Dan's background, how far he's come, what he's done, uh, the relationship that he has with players, his ability to recruit, those outside linebackers are pretty special. Uh, you know, Glenn Schumann, I, he can't wear gray sweatpants to be a head coach. I, I'm just kidding. I, I think he's got some years to go. And, and I've heard Schumann speak um, at, at a camp, and he is really – uh, intelligent. He's a great communicator, but, but Lanning's got that energy and that charisma. And we've seen those pictures. Uh, some of them taken by Jeff Centel, our multi-talented recruiting writer, who's also an incredible uh, photographer. I don't know how many people watch and know that, but a lot of our art is taken by Jeff at the games. And, um, and, and Dan Lanning is just a guy, um, you know, to me, that's, uh, I think he's a can't miss. I think he's a slam dunk. I think he's a guy you want to put on a billboard if you're a program. I think his energy level, um, I think his determination, I think the time that he's invested on Kirby Smart staff. Uh, he was also on the Alabama staff. Uh, he had success at Memphis. He's kind of done it at all the different levels. He's checked all the boxes. Um, he was far more qualified than whoever Kansas hired. It's so forgettable. I can't even remember now. Uh, I don't know about that. Yeah, if, if, if they would have had any shot at Dan Lanning, uh, they should have absolutely hired him. Um, he would have been a great steal for Kansas and given him a chance to get back to respectability, uh, which which is saying a lot because I think they've only had one season since 2009 maybe where they were 500 and they haven't been over 500 since Mark Mangino was there. Uh, so I, I think it's Dan Lanning. Uh, I, I know what you're saying about Munkin. I think you're right about being in the NFL versus being in college. You know, I think the college game is warming up to guys like Sam Pittman that are incredibly personable, that have big personalities, uh, that are able to build relationships now with this transfer portal. As crazy as it is, if kids aren't if the kids aren't starting, they're they're ready to jump. I mean, I look at Major Burns and I say, wow, here's a guy who was next man up in a secondary that has two NFL safeties, probably ready to leave. And he bolts and goes to a school that didn't want him a couple of years ago. I mean, that's remarkable to me. Um, so uh, I look at, you know, uh, other transfer. But to my point, I think now the college coach, uh, and, and agreeing with you, B.A., has to have more charisma than ever because of what it's going to take. to What constitutes a successful coach isn't just X's and O's, certainly. It's main, to me, it's also attracting players, 
and then keeping players and producing results, right? The, res- the proof's in the pudding. And um, that's why I say, I, I, you know, Dan Laney can point to a lot of successful guys he's recruited, developed, and the programs he's been a part of. But, Jeff, isn't there a little bit of a bias working against Lanning and Schumann both? I mean, we are in an era of offensive explosion in college football. You know, for guys like I'm not, I'm mostly playing devil's advocate here because I do believe that Dan Lanning will be a head coach. But just to take the other side of this for a moment, and on Glenn Schumann as well, who Connor you know brought up. I mean, don't they have to convince somebody to not make the offensive hire, which right now it seems like everybody wants to make? Yeah, I, I think. Uh, I think with a lot of those guys, um, you know, Brandon, I kind of half-heartedly, I kind of half-heartedly grin as you're making all those points about Monk. And I wonder if there's maybe 20% of your answer that, that germinates with the fact that you'd love to have Monk and remain as a dynamic vertical passing game play caller for Georgia for a few years. I think, I think you might be guilty of that a little bit, but, you know, we don't, you know, like you guys have mentioned kind of offhandedly that you don't get to see as much of Schumann and Lanning and then another fantastic guy like, like Abdel McGee enough. But, you know, the young men I talk to, they talk to these coaches a lot. And it seems those guys are still rooted at Georgia to win a championship. They mention that a lot, that they want to, they want to hang around until they win a championship. I do think that they want to hang around for the right job. But I also see this Georgia staff and, you know, there's a lot, there were a lot of really good answers, which is why I thought this was a good topic because I do think there's several, several future head coaches. I don't know if there's several future SEC head coaches uh, on this team and on this staff, but there's a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, I do think that Del McGee belongs to this conversation. We've seen a lot of former high school coaches go on to have a good bit of success college level now some of them didn't always end their careers in the most glorious fashion guys like you freeze our brows kind of come to mind when you say that but in terms of former high school guys who had big success obviously we've seen a lot of that and del mcgee has kind of followed a similar path himself here obviously he's been in the college game now for a long time but and that's a guy who i think can have a bright future but connor since you mentioned Schumann a moment ago i mean what do you think of the bias that just seems to exist against you know defensive guys here at the moment well, I don't know. I think this stuff is going to ebb and flow. It, you know, as great as Sam Pittman and Arkansas were last season ago, they did only win three games. And, and what happens if he struggles there? Something uh, given just the nature of the SEC West could certainly happen. What happens if Shane Beamer struggles at South Carolina there as well? You know, I, this stuff all sort of shifts and moves over the years and it, trends are going to continue to ebb and flow and develop. But I don't know. I just, I've seen so many guys like Glenn Schumann ultimately get hired into becoming head coaches, guys who have been loyal to certain head coaches, move their way up and ultimately find and select the right job. You look at Mel Tucker doing that, going from Colorado one year right to Michigan State after being Georgia's defensive coordinator for, I think, three years there. Dan Lanning is going to follow a similar track record. And uh, I know Dan Lanning is the defensive coordinator and it's a guy on the field, but Glenn Schumann is just as involved with this defense as Lanning is. And in talking to players, they say Lanning or uh, Schumann, excuse me, is the smartest assistant that they have. So I, I'm really just betting big on Schumann. He's, again, similar to Lanning. It's a very similar case there. I just – I something about Schumann, and quite frankly, I knew Mike was going to say Dan Lanning. So I wanted to have a different answer ready to go there. But I, I like Glenn Schumann just as much as Dan Lanning or Todd Munkin to be, I think, a good head coach. And to your point, I think more maybe than anyone on this list, he might have the best chance of being an SEC head coach. Interesting. My last word on this, I'm ask it this way. I'll give you the entirety of Georgia's assistant coaching roster, all 10 guys. Over the course of the next five years, what would you take to have more wins as a head coach against Power 5 competition? The 10 assistants for Georgia combined or Will Muschamp, starting today over the course of the next five years? Over Power 5 schools. Wins against Power 5 opponents as a head coach over the course of the next five years. Wow, that's tough because we're basically trying to put a time frame on Muschamp getting back in there as a head coach, and that's probably three years. We're assuming to, that is he going to go to a yes? He would have to go to a Power Five, probably not a very well, no. You no, you no, no. He doesn't have to go to Power Five. He just has to beat some Power Five teams. So um, yeah, he's not going to have much luck at a school. He, I don't think he would leave Georgia for a non-Power Five job. I'm going to go with the staff assistants 
Okay. Because I think Lanning's on borrowed time. Same question, Jeff. Must champ compared to all 10 Georgia assistants wins against power five opponents as a head coach over the next five years. I'm going to take the staff. That seems like a, that seems like a smart bet there. Connor. Well, Muschamp has been fired from two power five jobs already. I don't know the, the, the track record on guys getting a third power five job, much less one where you're able to be competitive. So because of that, I will take the staff pool as well. I think that's an interesting. I think that's an interesting one to think about. It's like Cover Four Live here. Uh, Connor Riley, Jeff Sintel, Mike Griffith. My name is Brandon Adams. That is our Cover Four topics. Time now for Cover More. We'll take your questions and comments. Uh, I want to get some of these, especially here on the uh, YouTube side, for a moment. I do have to ask y'all this, Mike. Just hit the sixty minutes thing about the uh, UFOs. What do you think about UFOs? Oh no! I got to know this. Uh, quiet. Oh no! Mike, did you see the sixty minutes thing about the UFOs? I did not see that. This is. I'm being totally serious. So they had like these, I don't know, uh, hotshot pilot type people. Uh, they say they've seen UFOs. New York Times written about this there as well. Do you believe in UFOs? Sure. I'm sure there's unidentified flying objects. That's different than aliens, though, right? Do you believe in aliens? That's a different question. I'm asking that. I'm following up. As a good reporter would, I'm, I'm following table up. That's the next week. I haven't had time to research that one. Uh, Jeff, what about you? Where are you on UFOs? I uh, believe they are uh, unidentified flying objects. And you know what? I'll, I'll just I'll just cue up the band of the narrative here. I do think there's life on other planets. Do you really? That's awesome to hear. Would it, Similarly, would it, go ahead, Jeff. Would it shock anyone? I mean, really, these unidentified flying objects. And, you know, what do we hear? Y'all, this stuff about Area 51 in Roswell for the longest time and Certainly, it doesn't go Spielberg in the movies the way everybody expects, but there's got to be something there. See, Connor? I believe in aliens, but more importantly, I think it's important for aliens to believe in themselves. <laughs> let me take a few uh, cover more. Uh, let me ask uh, you this, guys. Let me ask you this. Since we're going off track here, if if, if we knew that one of the SEC coaches when in all, and it was in all reality an alien from another planet, in disguise, which SEC coach would be the alien? Oh, it's clearly Mullen because he's obviously, I mean, you sort of catch him now trying to behave as a human would behave. Like he's, <laughs> he's always trying to think like, what would a normal guy do in a situation like this? And he's clearly trying to do what he thinks a normal guy would do. You know, he's very mechanical the way he goes about his life, you know, anyway. So, I mean, I, I, I got my eye on him as it is. Connor, who's Before your alien coach? Unfortunately, he was done in by the administration at Tennessee. But if you asked me this question six months ago, it's Jeremy Pruitt. The asparagus thing, I just can't escape that. That seems like big alien, big alien energy right there. Um, I think that's pretty good. Jeff, you got an answer to that question? Yeah, I mean, you know, you think about probably Les Miles was the all-time alien head coach, and it makes me think of that, like, Men in Black episode, you know, that, that, that movie franchise where they zip up a suit and it's an alien in the middle. I do, I do agree with you, Brandon, on your, your quirkiness there with Dan Mullen as well uh, about, you know, who's a guy that's just, you know, visiting from beyond, maybe Mork and Mindy type stuff, Connor. That may be well before your time, but that was a very funny show. No uh, one gets that reference, Jeff. <laughs> uh, By the way, Rhett Womack. Williams, greatest work. Rhett Womack watching on YouTube is like, wow, Jeff's answer really surprised me. I was actually kind of taken aback by that as well. I also can't get the Facebook comments to load. Connor, would you mind see if you can read a Facebook comment before you get off the air? Because yeah. I want to try to do that. For whatever reason, I can't get those to load. By the way, it's good to see our YouTube comment section. I believe I have intel that Green Soldier and his father are going to be with us tomorrow uh, for our big event there at the Battery Atlanta, our Dog Nation Days of Summer event before the Braves take on the Pittsburgh Pirates. So looking forward to all that there for sure. Uh, JC, check- of, uh, Brandon, I- Go ahead, Jeff. Brandon, I think my, my thinking on that is influenced not by creating good theater for our show, but I just got through seeing a kid here in uh, Mississippi that's six foot eight, 355 pounds, playing defensive tackle, uh, doing a pretty good job. Of course, there's always going to be pad level with him, but basketball player can move. George is in his top six. That guy looks like he's from another planet as well. I tweeted out some clips of him. I'll have more to come later tonight, but uh, well, maybe early tomorrow, not later tonight, because I'll be on the road later tonight. But you see this guy, Xavier, uh, 
Xavier Harris, man, and he looks like he is from Jupiter. That's great to hear. Great to hear. Uh, Connor, what are you about to say? Uh, Jermaine King points out the most obvious alien in the NCC, more so than Dan Mullen. I, I, honestly, I'm a little disappointed none of us said it. It's Mike Leach. Yeah, we got some YouTube stuff on that there as well. That Guys, it's got to be Nick Saban. He's got all the rings. He's from Saturn. <laughs> That's Mike's got granddad jokes this week. That... Mike's got granddad jokes this week. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Y'all, and listen, you know, every now and then I have to give Mike a little grief about things too. But his delivery on some of these jokes is actually well done. And his timing uh, when he delivers these, I would say that's, uh, listen, I'll allow that. I got no problem with that. We're in the entertainment business, Mike. I think that's well done. I, I got I got no problem with that whatsoever. Um, by the way, J- JC over in the YouTube side of things, dropping some great memories, the Eric Russell days, the Larry Munson days. That's a great thing to see. Uh, let me get one more. This is a serious comment. And we'll get ready to go. Rhett Womack brings up uh, questioning leadership. Um, Rhett mentions the quarterback, JT Daniels, is kind of being one of those guys. Uh, so it sounds like, Mike, that Rhett is a big believer in Daniels' ability to be a leader for this team right now, just based on what he's seen from him during those interviews. He mentions that specifically in his comment. What would you say back to that? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's something that JT uh, embraces uh, after the opportunity. By the way, Kirby Smart, uh, Mercurial, right? But I think that uh, JT Daniels does embrace the opportunity. That one did not work. Mike, I, I gave you credit for the moment ago. Don't go to the well too many times. That's my only advice. Well, you got Shane Beamer, right? He's the son of uh, Frank Beamer. It's a different, I, okay, we're losing it here. I, no, I, th- I think JT embraces the opportunity. I like that one a little bit better than the other one. Um, JT embracing the opportunity to uh, to lead. And, and I think there's a lot to be said. I mean, this is a guy that in high school, uh, you know, led his team to a national championship. Uh, at modern day and was a starter from the freshman year on. So, I mean, this is an inherent quality kind of had it torn away from him at Southern Cal with the knee injury. And uh, I think he's really embraced this opportunity to step in and, and uh, you know, be a leader. And I think Kirby, you know, kind of has, has appointed him at that. You, you, we've kind of heard Kirby kind of loosen the reins up and say, yeah, you know, I trust JT. He knows the offense. And, and it was a quick change because remember after the Mississippi state game, one of my very favorite Kirby Smart press conferences ever was, yeah, there's a few throws he wishes he could have had back. And I'm thinking, what do you want, 700 yards and seven touchdowns? 400 yards and four what? What throws did he want back? I thought he was pretty amazing against me. But it was Kirby basically saying he ain't proved it yet. And, and Kirby's a tough guy to impress. So if JT's won Kirby over, I think fans should probably feel pretty comfortable with him. By the way, I should also point out that why Mike is making puns about celestial bodies, there's an obvious joke here that I can make about Dan Mullen that I'm not going to make. I'm too classy to make, but just let the record show that I was thinking it and didn't say it. Connor, anything else on Facebook before we leave? Uh, hold on, let me pull it back up again. Man, you really love this Facebook audience, BA. Well, I'm trying to take care of people. I just can't get, for whatever reason, YouTube is loading for me quick as a whistle. Facebook will not open up for me right now. Not, not a whole lot of comments there on Facebook. I do have a final, a parting shot, so to speak, if you All will. Right. Where do you guys remember you were for the night of Georgia's national championship loss to LSU? I was on a friend's kitchen floor writing a story at 3 o'clock in the morning after that game. A few of us had gotten together and watched the game at a downtown bar in Athens. And we were all great college friends. Fortunately, that friend, Catherine Hamill, was nice enough to let me stay in her apartment that night along with nine of our other friends crammed into a small one-bedroom apartment in downtown Athens. Catherine is one of my dearest friends, and she's actually getting married this weekend. Her family are season ticket holders. She is a diehard Georgia fan. When I think back to that national championship loss, I don't think back to my own feelings or my own reaction, but it was rather her getting emotional at it because she is not a big Georgia – she's not a diehard Georgia sports fan. She's not watching right now. But that goes to show that there are people out there that this means so much to, people that you don't even think they care all that much about sports, that they are still moved to tears when something like that happens as crushing as it is. Catherine is getting married this week and I will be attending that wedding. And I could not be more thrilled and happy for her to be there on her special day. Her and her fiance, Jake Holly are dear friends of mine. I am so excited. They are getting married. And I hope that one day when Georgia does win a national championship, I am there and we can celebrate afterwards on her kitchen floor. Yeah, that's really nice. Uh, congratulations to the happy couple there. And Connor, I'm glad you get a chance to share that with them this weekend for all of you who have great weekend plans coming up. Hope you get ready to enjoy whatever that is. And for those of you who get a chance to be with us tomorrow at the battery Atlanta and Truist park, looking forward to seeing you for that. I'll also see you tomorrow morning for dog nation daily there as well. Jeff Sintel checking in. We'll get into more of the recruiting stuff with Jeff when he's there with us for that. Mike, I know you've got some travel coming up safe 
travel to you as you're on assignment for us here. We'll look forward to catching up with you again very soon. And uh, we'll all get together, hopefully. As Connor said, in, in person with friends here very soon, hopefully the entire Dog Nation team is all back under the same roof again at some point in time there as well. Uh, Jeff, Mike, any final thoughts from either of you? Branson Robinson Branson Robinson is going to be so good that pessimistic Mike is going to scratch his head a lot wondering uh, if he does eventually show up in Athens for wearing the Georgia G. He's going to wonder what he's going to have to nitpick about that for a freshman tail back in the SEC. Whoever lands him is going to get a very good one because this guy looks like uh, his two his thighs were basically uh, basically should have the words Kubota on the sides of them. That's how massive this guy is, how well-built he is, lower body. That's just going through my mind right now. Looking forward to reading that at dognation.com. I, uh, I would promote the story now that uh, Jeff has mentioned nitpicking that Mel Kuyper's first big board is out, and Kirby Smart often worries about the Georgia players reading their own headlines. Well, <laughs> there's no Georgia player in the headline because there's no Georgia player on the big board. And maybe Kirby wants to show them that, that Mel Kuyper doesn't think that there's any Georgia players among the top 25 uh, coming out of the NFL draft, albeit there are 11 in the SEC, three from Alabama, three from Texas A&M, and he does a top 10 ranking at each position group. And uh, there are some Georgia players who surface there, but nobody is in uh, the number one slot at their respective position. I think uh, Adam Anderson might be number three at outside linebacker. Um, that, that story would certainly be worth a look uh, to see what Mel Kuyper Jr. thinks of the talent that Georgia has in the NFL draft of 2022. Y'all read that story. Check out Jeff's recruiting work there as well. Connor Riley, some great stuff at dognation.com as well. As I said before, I'll see all of you tomorrow morning for Dog Nation Daily. And hope you're getting settled in to enjoy a great summer, great weekend. What a tremendous time. Beautiful weather. Enjoy it, whatever you're doing. We'll talk to you again here very soon on another edition of Cover 4 Live. Have a great night.